pleasure to come back here, see everybody, and uh, I talked with Dave, and uh, he asked me to uh, just pick out about three songs that really mean a lot to me, and I hope this will touch you the way it does me. I've never made a fortune. It's probably too late now. Oh, but I don't worry about that much. Cause I'm happy anyhow. As I go along life's journey, I read me better than I've sold. Drinking from my sauce, Lord. Cause my cup is overflow Ain't got a lot of riches Sometimes the going's rough But I've got a friend in Jesus And that makes me rich enough Thank God for all His blessings on me And the mercy He's bestowed Drinking from my saucer, Lord Cause my cup is overflowed Oh sure, I've been through some storms Yes, there were times that I with my faith, but it got a little thin. But it seemed like all at once, those dark clouds broke. And that old sun started shining again. So Lord, help me not to grumble and complain about the tough roads I've owned.
listening to the radio here today and there was a preacher talking about how we have to face obstacles in our life we have to we're made to, the Lord suffered for us and we suffer in his name and he gets us through and uh, so I thought about this song so it's called sometimes it takes a mountain faced a mountain I've never faced before That's why I'm calling on you Lord 
know it's been a while Lord, please hear my prayer I need you like I never have before Sometimes it takes a mountain Sometimes a troubled sea Sometimes it takes a desert To get a hold of me Your love is so much stronger Than whatever troubles me Sometimes it takes a mountain Trust you and believe Forgive me Jesus All I could control Whatever life would throw my way But this I will admit Brought me to my knees I need you and I'm not ashamed to say Sometimes it takes a mountain Sometimes a troubled sea Sometimes it takes a desert To get a hold of me announcement for your information uh, the last few months we've been uh, sharing the sanctuary space another church comes in here begins their worship service at one o'clock so if you've brought any Bibles or anything your pocket take them with you when you go to the fellowship hall for the meal uh, you might not be able to get back in here till after two o'clock so Let's respect their time and their space. They are aware of what's going on today, and they're okay with it. Uh, we just want to respect their time of worship as well. Uh, Bruce Lax has been a very 
though not very frequent, a very helpful encouragement to me over the years. He was here for my installation, and we've met a time or two just to You've been able to help me and encourage me in ministry, and I do appreciate that. This is a man who has been faithful to the word of the Lord and faithful in service, and I know you'll be blessed by his message. Brother, will you come? good to be back with you. It has been a while, and uh, boy, the path has taken me a lot of different places since I was here. The Lord's been faithful, and uh, he never, never does things the way I tell him to, but his ways are always the best. And uh, when we get home, we're going to find out, you really did know what you were doing all those times. If you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, you say, oh, we've heard this story. Well, you're going to hear it again. I'm not very good on sermon titles, but I titled this one, Home is Where Grace Is. And as Christians, our true home is with our Heavenly Father who abounds in grace. His house abounds with grace. And that's what this story is about. In fact... In all the Bible, there's only one homecoming story I like better than this one, and that's the one you find in Revelation, when the church, the bride of Christ, is called home. Uh, if you, you know, most funerals, we go in my father's house or many mansions. Do you know that's marriage language? That's betrothal language? That's engagement language? And Jesus says, I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to prepare a home because we're going to be married forever. And when you get to Revelation, that's when we go home. And the wedding is consummated at the feast. They understood that. You remember when you were engaged? Some of you long, long remember, shake the dust off. You couldn't wait to see that woman. You couldn't wait for that young man to come up your driveway. And you couldn't wait to stand before that preacher so you could begin life together. I've told a few people, I said, sometimes I think Jesus looks over at the Father and says, is it about time? Is it about time? I can hardly wait. That's homecoming. That's the ultimate homecoming. That's what awaits all the children of God. But there's another homecoming that touches my heart, and we see it right here in the story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. As we read through this, just remember that there are two primary lessons we learn here, and the first is that the Heavenly Father is ready to receive prodigals. His arms are not closed, his fists are not clenched, and secondly, to experience the Father's love and grace, you got to go home. You got to go to Him. You can't experience it in the far country, you got to go home. So, remembering that, let's turn to the scripture, Luke chapter 15. We'll begin at verse 11. This is the Word of God. And He said, Jesus speaking, there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We begin by starting where Jesus started with this young man. He was the younger of two sons. No doubt the lure of life outside the farm appealed to him. He wasn't going to inherit the farm anyway. His older brother would. He would always live in his older brother's shadow, and he got restless. He did what a lot of young men do. They start thinking stupid. And most of us got the scars to prove it. So he does a bold thing, and he asks his father for his portion of his inheritance. Now, under Jewish law, that could happen, and amazingly, the father agrees. Figures up what his portion would be, and he gives it to him. As soon as he's got that cash in his hand, it's burning a hole in his pocket. He can't wait to get away, and he's gone. He goes to that far country, and oh, life is better than he thought. Until his money runs out. Isn't it interesting that at the very time his money runs out, there's an economic downturn? Isn't that how it always happens? So there he is in this far country. He has no money. His friends have abandoned him, and he's in trouble. He becomes desperate. There are no jobs. 
especially for somebody who's out of town. He ain't from around here, you know. We got to be careful. He finally hires himself out to a man who has pigs. I don't know if you've ever been around pigs. Uh, where I grew up in western Kentucky, there were some large hog farmers. They say it smells like money. I say it smells like a pig. And you go to a hog lot, when you go home, the stink is still with you, all over you. That's where this boy ended up. Read the story carefully. He's starving to death. The farmer did not tell him you can eat the pods that you feed the pigs with. That's your business, what you do to eat and survive, and he wasn't surviving. Then the scripture says he came to himself. That's what this translation says. Another one says he came to his senses. Been there, done that. We used to say, where were you when the lights came on? This boy would say, I was in the pig pen. But stop and think about it. All of us have had to come to that point where the Holy Spirit opens our eyes so that we see ourselves and our situation as we truly are. In that pig pen, he finally realized the truth of his situation. Theologically, we say the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we say, why couldn't I see that? Because when you're dead in trespasses and sin, you're also blind. The Holy Spirit has to help us see. This boy came to his senses and he saw. And when God helps us see ourselves as we are before him, we realize we are repulsive before a holy God. Woe is me, I am undone, the prophet said. We realize then how repulsive we are to others. You ever been around somebody who just was too stupid to know how repulsive they were? But then the Holy Spirit helps us see how repulsive we are even to ourselves. I can't believe this is me. But it is. That's where this boy was. And until we get there, we'll never see our need for the gospel. I'm amazed in so many pulpits today, we hear lots of good news, but very little bad news. Go back and read Romans 1. Where does Paul start? He starts with an affirmation of the good news, and then he spends three chapters telling you the bad news. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all wretched, condemned, and deserve everything we got coming from God. You got to hear the bad news before there's any good news, and I think that's why people could care less. 
because God's become a cosmic Santa Claus, not the Holy One of Israel. I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's basically good. No, we're not. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all sin justly deserves God's wrath and displeasure for eternity. That's what everyone deserves because we are all sinners. If you don't believe it, let me talk to your husband or your wife. If you don't believe them, let me talk to your kids. And so you have this boy who realizes finally where he is. And he says, either I make a change or I die. That's how desperate it was. Sometimes we gloss over that. I really believe in studying and preaching this passage that this boy was one step away from starvation. And he's got a decision to make. And what's interesting here is that he makes a change. That's repentance. When you turn from the direction you're going, when you have a change of mind, a change of heart, and go in the other direction, his decision is that I will go to my father. Why? Because even my father's servants have enough to eat. Don't gloss over that statement because that is a statement of the character of his father. This is what this boy knows about his dad. His dad is just and good. He is fair. He is compassionate. And the only hope he has in this world to survive is the character of his daddy. You see that? He's not going home because he can sell his dad. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to be a new boy. He has no hope. For the Jewish people, most families would have had a funeral for him and he would have been dead and dead to them for having done such a thing. He says, my only hope is the character of my father. And he heads home. You see that first sentence in verse 20? I think Jesus stopped for a long, pregnant pause because here the story has reached its climax. And everybody's on the edge of their seat. Everybody's leaning in. What will this daddy do? If he was like most Jewish fathers, he would have a servant turn him away. You have mistakenly come to this home thinking that your family here. No, we had a son, but he died. So you move on. That's what most of the crowd hearing this would have thought would happen. But Jesus is telling the story, and Jesus is just a little off-center, you know? He, he's just a little different. What's going to happen? And they're waiting. Oh, it gets better. Verses 11, uh, 21 through 24 is the gracious father. 
Oh, we see the prodigal son, but now we see the gracious father. Jesus tells us, and what a contrast. I really believe that in this story, Jesus wants us to see a father who no matter what he was doing, taking care of the farm, taking care of his family responsibilities, he always had an eye toward that road. Just somehow, somehow hoping and praying that maybe, some way, that boy would come back. You got to remember, this boy is emaciated, he's filthy, he's in rags, he's nothing like he was when he left. But that daddy notices something about the way that boy walks, the way he holds his head, the way he carries it. There's just something about him, and he knows that's his son. And what does he do? He does what no self-respecting Jewish landowner would ever do. He pulls his robe up and he runs. And he runs to that boy. And what does he do? Look at the text. He felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see the picture? Jesus, nobody does that. Jesus says, yes, there is one father who does. But this boy stinks. He's been living in the pig pen. He don't care. He doesn't care at all. He falls on his neck and he kisses him. Why, that's his boy. The boy starts his statement of repentance and he says, Dad... I've sinned against God, against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He didn't get any farther. That dad starts barking orders. This boy's not in charge. Daddy is. And he starts barking orders to those servants to bring a robe and a ring and shoes. He is reinstating him as his son. With all the rights and privileges that pertain to being his boy. And then he says, you kill that fatted calf. Every house kept a calf fattened up for a celebration. Not only is this boy getting restored, and I think somewhere in here he got a bath, probably while they were cooking the calf. But here they are, do this, do that. Their servants are running around like crazy. Why? My son who was dead is alive. My boy who was lost is, is, is now found. Oh, it's going to be different now. Remember what Jesus has told in the first part of this chapter? The lost sheep, the lost coin. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Remember Jesus saying that? Now he illustrates it with this story. This boy who was so unworthy came home because he had faith in his father. He had nothing to bring. 
He had nothing to offer. Think about if you listen to gospel music, and I don't much like I used to, but several years ago, Squire Parsons sang, He came to me. The gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord was just so, so vast. I couldn't get across. One of the lines says, I cried, Oh Lord, I cannot come to where you are. But he came to me. In preaching this passage when I was uh, doing the series, and I've done it a couple times, I said, you know, I was in the pig pen. We were all in the pig pen. We we're all prodigals. Now, we measure ourselves against each other, and we can come out not stinking so bad. But the problem is we don't measure against each other. We're measured against the righteous holiness of God. And we make this boy look like a Sunday school saint. I picture myself in that pig pen and see Jesus, our elder brother, who comes and says, the Father says, come home. But the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and we look around and we see and we say, look, I'm covered in pig filth. Look at what I've done and I can't say I did it in ignorance. I did it on purpose. I have willfully rebelled against my Father. I've sinned against God. How can I come home? And he holds up his hands. I paid the price so you could come home. The Father loved us and sent his Son as the atoning of sacri sacrifice for our sin. That's how we can come home. That's why we can come together, hear the word of God, and as children who know the joy of being forgiven and born again, we've come home to our Heavenly Father. We can experience this time rejoicing in what God has done and looking forward to the day when we will be at home with Him individually and as a church. That's homecoming. A few weeks ago, uh, we are attending a church plant in Sanford, and there was a guy visiting, and he just, he had just come to realize the doctrines of grace. And this guy was just, I mean, he was just, he said, Jesus is real to me now. Do you ever get goosebumps? You know, I go, yes, this is what the gospel is about. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what makes me tick hearing what God is doing. Here's a guy who came home. What about you? Have you come home? There's only one road to get there. 
The hymn writer said, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. Have you seen yourself in that pig pen and say, oh, I'm undone. Lord Jesus, save me. I have nothing to bring, but I believe in you. I trust you. Have you done that? Has your life been changed? Are you different? I'm not saying, did you have a big explosion? I'm just saying, like I love C.S. Lewis's uh, story, he says, all I know is God had been working in me and working on me, and I said I was going, I was pedaling this way to one place and pedaling back. I was different. I don't know what your experience is. It's the end result that matters. When someone has been born again by the Holy Spirit of God, they're not the same person. They're not pig pen material anymore. Have you been there? You say, oh, preacher, I've been a member of a church. Look, they're going to be people split hell wide open, been members of churches for years. Don't believe it? Jesus said it. He said, on that day, they'll say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do miracles? Didn't we do all this? And what's he going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. I remember sitting in class and R.C. Sproul saying that's the verse that haunted him the most. He said, it keeps me on my knees at the foot of the cross. He said, I write books. I speak everywhere. Everybody wants my autograph. And he said, but I know me. I know that apart from Jesus, I wouldn't be anybody, and I'm not anybody except with him. And he said, but I don't want to live deceived and deluded, thinking everything's good, and then hear him say, depart. Make sure you know who you're trusting and where your home is. And for those of us who know him, I know Presbyterians don't shout. We don't say amen, and we surely don't dance. And this one especially. But let me tell you what, when I think about what God has done for us as his people and what he has in store for us, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yes, hey. You all know him too. Some people talk about heaven and I I get concerned. One of the last funerals I went to, not that I did, but that I went to, preacher said, I can see Brother so-and-so, and of course I knew that Brother so-and-so hadn't been in church in at least 30 years. I can see Brother so-and-so now sitting on the veranda of his big mansion, drinking sweet tea and enjoying the thoughts of going fishing. And all I could do was sit in my seat. And I hear people talk about heaven, and they talk about, oh, streets of gold and all the good things. And Let me tell you what. All that stuff's there because God's there, and he lives in glory. I don't care about any of that. I just want to be where he is. 
when we were studying Revelation, one of the things I saw was that the church will be presented to Jesus like a bride would be presented to her husband. But she's dressed in this glorious outfit. But if you read the Greek, and I don't, so I read commentators who do. And <laughs> I'm sorry I let out a trade secret, didn't I? <laughs> now some guys really do know it that well. But it's third person. What she has, what she wears, what we will wear has been provided for us. We didn't do it. God did it for us. He dresses us. Why? Because Jesus says that the Father has given us to him. You are God's gift to his son. And our homecoming is when we finally see Jesus. And he will not shake our hands. I'm convinced he will hug us and call our name and kiss us and tell us how glad he is that we're home. And I know me, the first thing out of my mouth is going to be, but it's all your fault. I didn't do any of this. He said, no, you didn't. But you get to enjoy the love and grace of me and my Father. Now that's good stuff. That's the gospel. That'll preach. And that's what brings sinners to the cross. That's what encourages saints to keep on going another week. In spite of those trials and mountains and struggles. To see Jesus will be worth it all. Now, I'm looking forward to homecoming, worship, good meal. But you know what? If Jesus wasn't here today, it wouldn't be worth anything. But because he is, we have a foretaste of glory divine. And I can't wait till we're gathered around the table there where there are no empty seats and no time limit. Saints rejoice all this in heaven too. And if you don't know Jesus, you can. You can. The Father is waiting to receive you. But like that boy, you got to come. You got to change your direction and come. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the sure hope that's ours because of Jesus. Thank you that when we could not come to you, you showed your unfailing love in sending him to come to us. Oh, Lord, spare us from the lies of this age. We're not worthy. And none of this is about our worthiness. It's about your worthiness. It's not about us being able to placate you and manipulate you. It's about us simply saying, Lord Jesus, here at the foot of your cross, I'm lost and I want you to save me. I want to be new. I want to be different. I want to follow you. Never, ever one time did Jesus say no to that prayer. Encourage our hearts that we might be found faithful. And that we might shine like stars in this world that seems so dark, because it is.
And the light they need is Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us and coming to save us. And we make our prayer in your precious name. Amen.